0: Praise the Lord, new life. Let's stand in the house of the Lord this morning. Why don't we begin by giving the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. Amen, amen. I think we can do a little bit better than that. We're welcoming the Lord into this house. Our voices should be raised. We should give the best hand clap we possibly can. We're here for another week in the house of the Lord, and we're not taking advantage of. Come on. Come on, we want you today, Jesus. We need you today. Amen. Amen. It's good to see everyone on this Sunday morning. Once again, you stuck with me for a second service in a row here. But God's going God's to gonna do something great. I believe he'll give me something for you today. I want to thank Pastor again, the ministry team, for this opportunity. And someone today is going to have a mindset change. I believe that. A transformation in their mind Um, from what God has, has given me for today. I wonder if we could bow our heads and pray for this service today. God, we come before you today knowing that you have something great in store for us. We anticipate and expect that your spirit will flow in a mighty way this morning at New Life Tabernacle. From the very get-go here with the word coming forth, Lord, help it to be cast into fertile soil and take root in our lives. Help us to be doers and not hearers of it only. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Amen. I take you this morning to Ephesians chapter 5 while you're standing. Ephesians 5, and we're going to start at verse 6. I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture to give us some context this morning. Ephesians 5 and verse 6, amen. If you don't have your Bible, they'll be up on the screen, but let's try to bring our Bibles to church, amen. Ephesians 5 and 6, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret." But all, the, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then, this is a decree to us, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. "...redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." and submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. I wanna speak to you today on a sermon titled Managing Our Time, Managing Our Time. If you're gonna preach with me this morning, you can be seated, amen. I want you to visualize with me for a moment that each day, our bank account is filled with $1,440, and then at the end of the day, it vanishes. We don't use it. It's gone. The next morning, it's filled again with $1,440, and it continues going on every day. How would you respond to that? You would have several options, would you not? One option would be to say, I'll just let the money accumulate, and since it goes away at the end of the day, if I had nothing to spend it on, it'll just vanish. And day by day goes on, and sometimes it's wasted. A few of us might do that. The other temptation would be to spend it frivolously, to say, well, if it's there, I might as well spend it. It's gonna be gone at the end of the day, and it doesn't matter how I spend it, it just needs to be spent. and That's all that matters. Some other folks, perhaps wiser, would say, let me budget this money and figure out how I can best use it each day, not just for this life, but also for the life to come. Church, whether or not you realize it, God gives to you and I 1,440 minutes every day. Once those minutes are gone, we cannot recapture them. We cannot have them back. They are gone forever, and not even God can give them back to us. The question is, how do we use those moments and that's what I'm talking to you today about. God expects us to properly manage his gifts as good stewards. And today, we get to discuss and dig deep into that miraculous, wonderful gift that we call time. Are you with me today? Now, there are some people who are what we would say we could call lazy. And this or I'm going to look at my notes so I'm not making an icon of anyone. Lazy and disorganized we have all met people who do not return their phone calls now i i about got myself in trouble wednesday night with a few references to my amazing wife i made more than i thought i did and so i want to let her off the hook today but the phone calls we'll just leave it there we've <laughs> some of the laughter are people who've experienced it from her We've all known people who prioritize and organize only if their own livelihood is dependent upon it. And we all know people whose lives accomplish less than what they could because they have very few goals outside of earning a living. Now imagine standing before God someday and all you can say is, I earned a living. I hope you can say more than that. I hope I can say more than that. Another type of personality out there is one that we could call frantically disorganized. hmm I can sense people connecting with the word this morning. Praise God, hallelujah. I read a story once about a farmer who was telling his wife that he was going to do some plowing, but the tractor needed oil, so he went to the shop. On the way, he noticed the pigs weren't fed, so he went to the corn crib. The sacks of corn reminded him that the potatoes were sprouting, On the way to the potato pit, he passed the wood pile. Remember, his wife wanted wood. By the time he picked up a few sticks, an ailing chicken walked by, so he had to go check on the chickens. Obviously, this could go on for a while, and at the end of the day, you can probably figure out what happened. He did not plow a field. He was frantically disorganized. He was not lazy, just disorganized. Don't be looking around at anybody else. That's disorganized. People like this sometimes really don't have actual priorities because everything to them is an equal priority. If you've ever worked with someone like that, you know how interesting that can get. Then there's another personality, and I'm going to raise my hand the entire time for this because this is me. This is where I preach to myself. The frantically organized, and it can be a bad thing sometimes. These are the kinds of people who cannot do C until they have done B and cannot do B until they have done A. Everything is mapped out. Their whole life is basically, they miss one turn in a revolving door and need an (laughs) Alka-Seltzer. And as far as they're concerned, one little thing and it can disorganize their whole structure. They are frantically organized. And I'm sure there are a lot of other personality types out there as well as far as organization goes, but I want you to know today One thing we all have in common is that we have wasted an awful lot of time for which we're gonna have to give an account to God. That's something we need to admit in the depths of our soul. We have wasted some time. It's the truth. Sometimes it's our fault that time is wasted. Sometimes it may be the fault of someone else. I actually saw in my studies that the average person who lives to the age of 70, spends three years waiting for someone else. <laughs> Think about that a bit. Even, but even during those times of waiting, there are things you can do. You can always talk to God. How easy it is to let time pass through our fingers. And my goal with you today is to dig into God's word and see what God has to say about time. And I believe that if we follow the principles I'm going to provide to you by the end of this message, that you and I will find a transformation in who we are. Could be a year from now, two years, five years from now, because we can be changed if we use our time wisely. Amen. So we're in Ephesians 5, and I want to start at verse 8. They're going to keep putting them up here on the screen in case you don't want to dig in with me in the Word, but we're going to start at verse 8, and we're going all the way back to verse 8, because I need to give you context so that we can feel the full force of what the Apostle Paul is trying to say about our time. So in Ephesians 5, 8, we begin to see that first, we must understand our time. We've got to understand how desperate these times are. Amen. Amen. One translation says it like this in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when the light exposes anything, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I came across, I know it's a couple stories here at the beginning, but I'm setting a foundation. I came across a fictional story about a bunch of candles that were in a storage closet. One night, there was an electrical storm, and the electricity in the house went out. So the husband went to the candles to get them to provide light during the darkness. But the candles, which could talk, fictional, right, all had excuses for why they couldn't leave the closet or why they couldn't give off light. One candle said, I need more preparation. He didn't want to make mistakes when he was finally sent to light a room. And so he was studying to be the best candle he could be. He said he was in a great study on wind resistance, had just listened to a tape series on wick buildup and conservation. He was getting ready to read a best-selling book on flame display called Waxing Eloquently. I got to throw some humor in, sorry. The second candle claimed to be busy meditating. He said that he was meditating on the importance of light, and he couldn't be disturbed because it was enlightening. A third candle claimed that he wasn't stable enough. He, i got to get my life together before I try to light a room. He said his main problem was he had a short temper. People thought he was a hothead. The fourth candle was a female, and she said that while she, she wants to help, lighting the darkness isn't really my gift. She's a singer, and her responsibility is to encourage the other candles, so they would go out and light the darkness. And so to reveal her gift, she automatically launched into a beautiful rendition of this little light of mine. Then all the other candles began to sing as well, and nothing the owner could do would make them stop. So when the husband asked his wife where she had gotten these candles, she said, Oh, they're church candles. Remember that church that closed down across town? I bought them over there. Candles that won't shine tragic. I wonder if that's how God views us sometimes. We should take a page out of Motel 6 and proclaim to people, we'll leave the light on for you. Always allowing our light to shine, to be seen by those in darkness, to provide light for those in a storm, to be a lighthouse so people can see their way safely to shore. But too often we cover our lights or let them burn out or simply refuse to be The light that God wants you to be. And more tragically still, rather than contribute to the light, rather than showing people the way to God, sometimes we join in the works of darkness. Just being real with you today. We tend to pick and choose when we want our light to shine. And when we don't, we want it to be on at church, but not at work. We want it to shine in our Bible study, but not the neighborhood picnic. We want it to shine when we're singing through the radio in our car, but not when somebody cuts us off while we're driving. But imagine for a moment what would happen in other areas of our lives if we decided that sometimes we wanted the light to shine and other times not. Imagine what would happen on the highways if sometimes people drove at night with their lights on and sometimes they didn't. Imagine what would happen if the runway manager at an airport decided to turn the runway lights off for a few hours every night while the planes were trying to land. Imagine how hard it would be to get around your house if some rooms were lit and others weren't. If we lived these ways, our lives would be full of terrible disasters. But that is how some of us live our Christian lives. That is how some of us treat the light of truth that we are each responsible for. We think we can turn it on and off and not suffer the consequences, but we are wrong. Anytime a light is supposed to be shining, but it is not, disaster results. Amen. I'll amen myself. We must understand our times. And so Paul uses the rich imagery of light and dark to help us see what's going on in the world. And he notice, he doesn't just say here in Ephesians, there was a time when you lived in darkness and now you live in light. That, that would be fine to say, that we we'd praise, we worship to that, but he's actually getting a much more powerful message across here, because he says you were darkness, but now you are light. Paul is saying, and he's speaking to believers, just like I am this morning, that you used to be darkness but God changed you into light. It's more than just your environment changing. You have changed. You have changed. And then Paul says, notice what happens in the darkness. In verse 9, it says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And here's the contrast now. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Paul is telling us we are children of light, and therefore we should show up the darkness. We must be candles in that cave. Some of us are trying to do that in our sinful work environments that are filled with unfruitful works, works of darkness. We're trying to represent Christ, and that's exactly what God has called us to do because we are light. We are light. We don't just live in light. We are light. If you want to know what's happening in today's world, it doesn't take long to find it. Immorality, violence, impurity of all kinds, occultism, that's where our world is, full of debauchery and sin and hopelessness, and we are in that society. But Paul says, have nothing to do with these unfruitful works of darkness let me challenge you with a thought this morning and really make you self-reflect. Do you have something to do with those unfruitful works of darkness? Is that a part of your experience? Is it a part of your life? Have you become involved in it? Listen, it's easy to do today. You don't have to go out looking for temptation. (laughs) Temptation comes and seeks us out. It pursues us we find it at every turn, every opportunity, whether it's the internet, movies, TV. The world has just crashed in upon us, but Paul says, have no fellowship with those works. For those of you who were at prayer yesterday morning, Brother Anthony briefly mentioned the importance of unity right now, spiritual unity. And I truly believe there are positive things happening in God's church. I have some believers with me this morning. There's a push. Yes, amen. There's a push for more prayer. There's people getting together to pray and seek the face of God and pray kingdom-minded prayers in these last days. There's a coming together, a sense of oneness that is taking place. And because of that, people are being saved and the gospel is being preached and opportunities are being given. And for that, we are grateful. But in the midst of this, we cannot deny the moral and spiritual slide of our country all around us. The immorality surrounding us is not something we will be able to completely put the brakes on. We're not supposed to. These things are supposed to happen. They're prophesied to happen in this hour. But what we can control Is ourselves. And Paul is admonishing us to make sure that we have not become so much a part of the world that the unfruitful works that are bombarding us is dimming our light. And we are not what we should be as God's ambassadors in society. We must not rationalize and become a part of the world. It's so easy to do. We must be careful. Paul says that we should live with goodness and righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. Maybe there should be a Bible college class called, find out what pleases God and do it, (laughs) because that's what Paul's saying we should do, and then he says in verse 12, it is shameful to mention these secret things that are done, and then in verse 14, he says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He will shine on you. And Paul is using this language to speak to us in the clearest possible way. Don't fall asleep. Don't dim your light in the Lord. Wake up. The church has to wake up. You see, the times in which we live We see society with its debauchery and its betrayal and seductiveness and all the things that are pushing upon us. Church, we've got to wake up and understand the times. We have to understand the times. Amen. The second principle from Paul comes from verse 15, and this principle is to redeem the time. Paul tells us, look carefully how you walk Watch carefully how you live. Our version we read in King James says to walk circumspectly, very carefully. Those of you who don't know what that means, circumspectly means you walk in such a way that your eyes are really all about you. If you could possibly have eyes at the back of your head, you would because you know your enemy, Satan, and the flesh within is trying to destroy you. It's trying to ruin your fellowship with Christ. It's trying to come between you and the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Back in December, we got a cat. Two non-cat people got a cat. Yeah. Still not convinced that we are cat people. (laughs) But we love this little guy. We knew that we would have to exercise patience. We just weren't aware how much patience. Patience. We also weren't aware that McKenna would treat him more like a toy than a pet, so that's been fun. But, <laughs> but one of the things that has amazed me the most about watching this cat is his ability to maneuver through a crowded area without knocking things over. It's quite amazing, or barely even touching anything for that matter. I'll see him attempt to walk over a table with multiple things on it, looking like a feline obstacle course, and he somehow manages to get through unscathed pretty much every time. I actually watched him intently once and he watches where he puts his feet. Every step is an important choice, front legs and back legs, circumspect. In Mexico, there are large walls that are built in order to keep various compounds or various homes safe because of theft. They're well guarded and some of these walls perhaps 10 feet high, made around a house. And on top, as the concrete was being poured, they put bits of broken glass and, and pieces of broken bottles and things to discourage people from climbing over the wall. Well, not surprisingly, cats walk on top of these walls because they work circumspectly, one foot there, one foot there, one foot there. They don't want to be cut. Are you following me today? Listen to me carefully. It's possible for you and me to make one decision in a moment of time that will bring a lifetime of heartache because we were not being circumspect. Walk carefully. There's a devil out there that hates you and is waiting for one small trip up to prey upon. Paul says then in verse 17, don't be unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The unwise will just walk across the broken glass. They are the ones who kick the traces and show no respect for authority. They are the ones who say, well, it doesn't matter how I live, no matter what God says, I'm doing my thing. Paul says, don't be unwise like that. He says, redeem the time. Now, excuse me for the next five minutes, but I'm gonna take you on a little mini language arts lesson, but it's very important to know. Another translation here in this scripture says, make the most of every opportunity. I like the word redeem, and I'll tell you why. In Greek, the word redeem here is agorazo, and it means to buy. Agorazo would be you go to a store, you go to a marketplace, and you purchase something. That's redeeming, agorazo. But what Paul uses here is not just the word agarazo. He puts a preposition before it, like a prefix almost. And it's ex, it's ex And that preposition, ex, means out of, like an exit. So the word ex means redeeming the time, buying it out of the marketplace. Well, what are we buying time out of? We'll use the context we just talked about. We're buying it out of the bondage of evil. Time has to be carved out of the bondage of evil. Let me explain further. The Greek word exagorazo is actually the old Greek used to depict someone purchasing a slave out of a slave market. A disgusting place where human beings were bought, sold, and traded like animals. This market was officially called the agora which is where we get the Greek word agorazo, to buy. When the word ex is added, that preposition, which again means out of, when they are compounded to form the word ex it now pictures a buyer who has gone to that market to purchase a slave so he can get him free and restore him to the freedom he formerly possessed. So the word redeem that Paul uses here actually pictures permanently removing a slave from slavery in order to return him to the status of freedom he enjoyed before he was enslaved. We also see this phrase in Colossians 4, 5, when Paul said, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. This redeem again is Ex-Algarazo. He's not talking here, church, about redemption from sin. Paul is trying to get across to us that lost time can be redeemed. If you are willing to do whatever is needed to make it happen, God will enable you to regain and recoup time that you previously squandered. He can give you another opportunity that is so wonderful that it makes up for what you previously lost. Redeem the time. In fact, when Paul wrote of redeeming the time, the Greek word for time is kairos, which is translated as opportunity. God will help us recoup, recover, regain, and retrieve lost time and opportunities. Paul is literally telling us to buy back opportunities. Do everything you can to make up for lost territory. Buy back all the time you can and make the most of every opportunity for God. I ask you today, what opportunities have you lost or squandered along the way of life? Was God trying to increase you at one point, but as a result of negligence on your part, the increase went to someone else? Can you think of a possibility that God designed to be yours, but it never happened because you were too lazy to put forth the effort to make it happen? Have you forfeited your testimony in front of non Christians because you chose to do something unethical or ugly in front of them? The truth is, we've all lost opportunities along the way in life for various reasons. Some of it was due to our own stupidity or ignorance. Some of it was due to hardships or difficulties in life that prevented us from doing what we wanted to do. But regardless of the reason, church, hear me this morning. Please, I feel like I'm getting across to someone. Paul told us that if we are willing to go the distance to do whatever is necessary to redeem time, we can turn things around and end up with brand new, wonderful opportunities that make up for any lost or wasted time in your past. The Holy Ghost is crying out to us. Do whatever you can to make up for lost territory. I will enable you to buy up all the time you can and make the most of every opportunity. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe some of you have damaged your testimony for some reason, affecting your witness. Losing influence as a result of a lack of integrity will hinder your ability to represent Christ to the people around you, and that's our main job. However, with God's grace, this can be changed. It can be turned around. If you are willing to put the work in and do whatever is necessary to achieve it, God will help you redeem that lost time and your damaged testimony. Church, for you to redeem the time, for us, this is just as much for me, for us to redeem the time and recover our testimony, God might require you to do some things that aren't comfortable. Maybe you have to apologize to someone. Admit you were wrong. Or maybe make a correction in some area of your life. If you are willing to swallow your pride and do what is right, God will miraculously enable you to buy back a lot of missed opportunities and recover a testimony that's been lost. Time is precious. and It is a fact we cannot turn the clock back. Once you spend time, it's gone. But if you're willing to repent and put forth the effort to correct mistakes, God's grace will make up and go a long way in enabling you to buy back a lot of time, opportunity, territory, testimony, and the Holy Ghost will help you. Holy Ghost will help you. And listen, we must never forget that people are watching us. When we were in our ministers and training class back when I was like early 20s, what it seemed like forever ago, but pastor used to tell us that we live in a glass house. People are watching us, they see our walk. They hear our talk. They notice what we say. They notice what we do. We have to walk circumspect and live our lives wisely and prudently for the sake of them who are observing what we say and how we act. Time is sacred. It is a precious commodity that we must use carefully and not waste. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So what what do we carve time out of today? I'm almost done. You'll never become a professional baseball player unless you practice. You'll never become a musician unless you practice. You'll never succeed in your career unless you practice. Why then do so many think that they're just going to be godly without disciplines of life, without any time management, that somehow it's just going to happen? They want to be holy in a hurry. But it takes time, and it doesn't happen unless you carve time out. It's an action. You have to redeem the time. You. Out of what? Well, a good place to start would be our individual pleasures. Okay? Things that sap our time, TV, Internet, all of its absorption and fascination where people can sit hour after hour after hour after hour. It can even be from good things like, like those of us who like sports or for me, Hallmark at Christmas time. And no, I'm not handing my man card over for that. Some good shows. I'm just saying. How about the news? Many people today are news junkies. I'm sick of the news. It's not news at all. It's mind-altering, biased junk. That's what it is. Carve it out. I said carve it out. Redeem that time. Use it for something godly. Use it to get closer to God. Use it to brighten up your light. Use it to understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen, I'm staying here until someone gets it. We carve out the time. We shut off the TV. We shut off the internet. We buy the time back from all the bondages and distractions and things of this world. And I'm not just talking about personal pleasures. It's also some personal responsibilities. This is where we say, there are some things that I don't have to do because God's going to come first. If we don't seize the time, it won't happen. Time will get away from us and it will be gone. Paul said the days are evil. Do you believe the days are evil? Then redeem the time. Buy it back. Buy it back. First, so first we have to understand our times, then we have to redeem the time. And my final point here this morning... Paul hits a big one here, prioritize the time. See, this is all connected in Paul's mind. He has a sequence of thought here. In verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is saying if you want to concentrate on those things that will really help you in your Christian life, if you want to focus on those things that really have an eternal impact, then what you must do is push off of your life those things that distract you and specifically here he mentions wine and debauchery and drunkenness. And there there is some similarity between someone who's drunk and someone who's filled with the spirit. Both of them are under the control of something other than themselves. But the alcoholic does things that are shameful. The Christian does things that are joyful. The alcoholic loses self-control, but the Christian is fully in control because one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And so the contrasts between the two are greater than the similarities. And so the Apostle Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on in verse 19 to say, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we should be doing. Amen. I want to end today giving you a few steps, some practical steps that you can apply that will change your life I truly believe, because there are so many of us who just, we can just be disorganized when it comes to spiritual matters. We, you know, we, there's a lack of spiritual discipline in some cases. Listen, spirituality doesn't happen by osmosis. And the only thing between eternity and us is time. The only thing we have to work with until we see our Lord face to face is Time. So the question to you and the question to me is how are we going to use it? That's the question. So I'm going to give you a couple of steps here. If you're able to write them down, that's great. If not, I'll give them to you later or something. Number one, determine what you want to become. And I'll tell you why we have to start there. Actually, do me a favor for a moment. Pretend that we're not doing a message right now and we're at a coffee shop and we're just having coffee, you and I. I'm looking you in the eyes, you're looking me in the eyes. I've got some questions for you. I want you to think deeply and do some self reflection. Do you really want to know God? Do you really want to have a passion for God? Do you want to love God more than you love sin? Is there something within you that says, when I stand before Jesus Christ, I want to have something to be able to offer? To say that I did something productive and significant and fruitful for his glory. That I was a man or woman of character. A man or woman of integrity and commitment and focus. Do you really want to say that? I believe you do or you probably wouldn't be here. But that's where time management begins. Because you see, if we don't know what the goal is going to be, then how can we possibly know steps A, B, and C? If we are content with our spiritual disorganization, if we are content with how much we read the Bible, if we are content with our prayer time, if we are content with our witnessing, then everything else I've said so far might well as not have been said. We need to stir up some holy discontentment and say, I only have so many years. Why should I be idle? I've got to use my time productively for Christ. That's where it starts. Decide what you want to become. Number two, push from your schedule everything that belongs to the unfruitful works of darkness. You don't understand the battle that you're gonna be in. You don't understand how Satan is gonna rise up and say, no, and we're not talking just about time management here. We're talking about spiritual conflict because for those who are involved in secret sins or addictions or unfruitful works of darkness, You can imagine Satan's going to be like, no, this time has been mine in the past, and it will continue to be. So you've got to rise up and pray, God, deliver me and take out of my schedule those things that lead me into debauchery and out of fellowship with you. I feel the need to tell someone this morning. You can have a heart that is hot for God. You can have a heart that's been cleansed by God. You can come to church with a great sense of worship and expectation and leave with a sense of cleanliness and joy and turn on the television, I feel the Holy Ghost, and watch some ungodly sensual program, and an hour later that passion and love for God is a little bit dimmer and drained. There's a cloud between you and God. Hear me, we have to push from our lives everything that is the unfruitful works of darkness. Number three, now what we do is we add in those disciplines that are honoring to God and realize that if we're going to buy the time back from its evil bondage, there's gonna be some extra time there. So how, how godly would we be? <laughs> If all the time that was on the internet and television was spent in Bible reading and prayer. I mean, think about it. We've got to add in the spiritual disciplines. Get yourself a devotional guide. Read the Bible systematically if you have to. Chapter two a day. Plenty of resources out there to help you with that. You cannot say there are no resources. And if you miss a day, don't wait till January 1st to start again. It's it's the truth. You pick up where you were and you calmly continue. And you pray through the scriptures. Because now you can pray with a sense of freshness and a sense of ease. And every day as you get into the word of God, you can find new ways to pray for your friends. And new ways to pray for your family and for missionaries and for the church. Because you've been in the word. And now you can pray these scriptures back to God. You can even carve time out from things that are not sinful, but that you enjoy doing. God, I love you so much, I'm willing to say no to something to say yes to you. Are you hearing me today? That's part of maintaining a healthy relationship. Guys, that's what our wives want. They don't want our leftovers in terms of time. They want to see us say no to something we like to do, but say, I love you more than I love this. So you come first. It's no different with God. You add those things that are pleasing to him and acceptable to him. That's part of crucifying our flesh and get over self. You won't be the fruit bearer God intends you to be until you do this. Number four, take a step in the right direction by getting involved. Turn your neighbor and say, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to find something to get involved with. Maybe it's joining or helping celebrate recovery. Maybe it's learning how to teach a home Bible study. You begin to broaden your horizons and volunteer for ministry. I want to be involved. I want to do something that gets me out of my comfort zone. I want to witness more. Amen. I seek input from my trusted leadership in my spiritual growth because God knows how many years I have left and soon they'll be gone. I want to use my time wisely for his glory and for his honor. Nothing else matters. Last one, number five. This is the simplest one. You begin today. Today's a good day to pray. Today is a good day to be reconciled with someone you know you should be reconciled to, but you've been too nervous to because it's uncomfortable and you don't want to go over those emotional upheavals. Today's a good day to turn off whatever needs turned off and turn yourself on to God and stay in his presence until that holy passion is kindled within your life because you and I know that we will never, never overcome our passion for sin until we have a greater passion for Jesus. It's a battle of passions. So we stay in his presence until God does all that he needs to do in our hearts. I challenge you today, don't leave this tabernacle until that happens. Let there be a transformation in his presence. Stand with me this morning. Someone has written, found this poem, thought it fit perfectly. The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to say when the hands will stop at late or early hour. Now is the only time we own to do his precious will. Do not wait until tomorrow, for then the clock could be still. 1,440 minutes a day, a gift from God. How are you going to use it?